Welcome to this third and final part of a fantastic interview with Mr. Kevin Holland, former Met police officer and living legend. Uh, his insight into policing in London is absolutely fascinating. And in this final part, we talk about how he moved on from his career, the work he's doing with his fantastic company, Solar Shed. And also we discuss the Justice for Yvonne Fletcher campaign, which some of you might be interested in supporting. Raise a cup of tea. Uh, to Mr. Kevin Holland and enjoy this third and final part of his The Bill podcast and with my sincere thanks for his generous time and amazing insight and his service to us all. Thank you, sir. When Tony Blair come to the Aylesbury estate, right? Every single newspaper, every newspaper in the country covered that wall to wall, front page, middle pages, there was pictures absolutely everywhere, yeah? Everywhere. About an hour before he arrived, I'm up on site on the CAD Cam Centre downstairs here with Nicky Scott of WPC and Kevin Mac... No, Andy Cameron or Kevin Mac... All the sergeants and all the tenants in Midland Rand because this is Tony Blair's first speech as Prime Minister. This bloke comes up to me, I thought I recognise him. It was Arthur Edwards from The Sun. He's like, he was the senior political correspondent or he used to do all the royals and things like that. And he's looking for a story, wasn't he? And it was all the estate from hell and all that. So I took him up to the roof. I had the, I had the master keys for the roofs of all the buildings. So I said, come for, if you want a fag, I said, I'll come and have a fag with you in the chat, but not here. Because all the, I said, let's go upstairs. So I took him to the rooftop, didn't he? And as he come out, we're going up the rooftop and he's looked down. There's no railings. It's a flat roof and you're 12 stories high. And you just look over London and there's not a view like it. I used to go up there for sunsets, cup of coffee, lovely. Or if I wanted to catch a drug dealer, I'd go up to the roof but not and have a look. It, nice and easy. So I'd be up there, it was like a helicopter. I could cover a half a mile just from a rooftop of Wendover. So I was up there and I told him this, I told Arthur Edwards this story about how people have put a lot of effort into changing the reputation of this place, including by stopping the bill from filming because we wanted to change perceptions and all that sort of stuff. He went for it and he closed his pocketbook up. He said, the sun won't be running this story. That was Tony Blair's first major speech. The world's media was there. Every newspaper virtually in Europe had the pictures of me and him on the front page. And the sun never even ran with the story because he, he was, to me, that was a decent thing. He wasn't going to put what he was told to do. Murdoch, or whoever the editor was, had told him this was the angle, and he'd met a real-life person. Obviously, I tapped into his personal side rather than his journalistic side, and he said, there's no story here. He was looking for something that we didn't want out. Back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, if the press wanted a story, they would phone the crime desk, and the crime desk sergeant, his duty bound, was to tell them about reports that had happened overnight. Only stuff that you're allowed to release, only, only if the box had been ticked to release that information. But that's how they get their stories, the press. So we had a chat with Dave, the crime desk sergeant, said any press inquest, uh, requests for anything on the Aylesbury estate, can you send them to me, please? And every single time the press phoned up, I said, yeah, oh, brilliant, I'm glad you phoned. Right, we've got 24 kids starting at a new boxing gym. Or we've got another gang of kids who have given up knives and um, amnesty, and what they're doing is now planting flowers on a Thursday night for the old people. Yeah, but I want to know about. I want to know about the rob. Nah, I don't know about that. Yeah. No, I would let, let me let me tell you what we have done though. I'll tell you what. There, there was one when I went ballistic with the bill. I went mad with them. 
they've done this shot. I don't know what the episode was called. It must have been about 1998. It was on the Aylesbury estate, 97, 96, 97. And they've got a load of actors bouncing a Ford Fiesta to get it up to lift it. It's like a riot scene, but it's not a riot. It's a bit of a disturbance on a housing estate. It was all a controlled environment. But up on the walkways is me and the families of the people who live there. And they're seeing this car being bounced for these actors to lift it up to form a barricade. It's gone all quiet. And it's, I think, oh, that's not right. I know in the police, we only get one take. And in the bill, they get 35 takes to get the line right. <laughs> but but it, this was too quiet. The filming hadn't stopped. Why, why, where have all these kids gone? I've gone around the corner and they're literally bouncing the Ford Fiesta and they're trying to get it up. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> no one got nicked, but it was, I was watching something with them and they saw other police officers, visually actors, doing something which they know is wrong. No one was stopping that. So mm. they thought, oh, it must be easy. Let's see how easy it is to do that. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? So it was, it was all the time, ah, you can't do this in public because the public think it's okay. It's, yeah. it's a really hard one at times when, when you were with the, the, like the filming and things. But there's little stories like that that stays with you. Do you know what I mean? You remember stories just like that. And if it, say if it weren't for the bill, I don't think, in the 80s and early 90s, probably 80s and 90s, they wouldn't have had the recruitment that they did because they needed the recruitment because so many joined, I forget when it was, um, was it the late 70s they joined and there was going to be this massive drop in, in the amount of police. If everyone retired at the same time, there wasn't enough coming through. But there was a four-year period where recruitment actually was a natural thing coming from things like the bill. Yeah. And it... It must have been a hard, it must have been so hard for you to to leave the police, I guess. Um, that, that was quite easy at the time. It was hard afterwards, trying right. to fathom out why I did it. Right. <laughs> I've done 17 years. Um, basically, in the end, it was politics. Um, I got to a stage where I had more influence than what I realised. I was just one of the lads. Um, my sergeant, my inspector, my sergeant didn't really see it that way. I was working in an office environment. I'm a, I'm going through the front door sort of bloke. You know, I've had sailed down off of 16 story blocks of flats and smashed through windows, you know, 18 stories high. And you know, it's, it's what you do when you're a policeman. It's great fun, you know, but you can't keep doing that when you get in your thirties and forties and 50, you can't keep doing that. So I got to a stage where if I didn't take promotion, I was always going to be fighting an uphill battle because this is really arrogant. I was right. I was right in my practices. I was right in my methods. And I've demonstrated that by having some of the lowest crime rates in London when crime was soaring. Because of the support I had, it wasn't me, it was, I was just the driver. I was just yeah. the driver. But the support in utilising everybody, seeing everyone as an opportunity to help me get rid of crime. Mm. You know what I mean? Speaking to the street cleaner to find out where the drug needles were being seen or where the lost property, the, the stolen property was being dumped. You know, that's the sort of relationship you've And you can't take that knowledge and experience away. And then when you start getting supervised with pe by people who have no experience of... Oh, I can imagine. Did you know I wrote a book about this? Yeah, yeah, pig and shit, is it? It talks about that at the end. It talks about me leaving at the end. 
Um, it was a bit of a hard time in motion. My dad was dying. Um, I was moving house. There was all 9-11 and I was doing this job and all, it was a bit of a head fuck moment. Um, but I did leave and I become head of communications for Norfolk Constabulary. So I went from being a PC to one of the managers and influencers within the constabulary. And that lasted for about two weeks, three weeks. It, it, it was, I wasn't conducive to an office environment. It's not me. It's not me. I'm the sort of person who, who I, I speak as I find. If, if someone's a knob, yeah. I'm going to tell them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. And this is why I like Twitter so much. The things I get away with on that, it's brilliant. But yeah, I loved your video you, where you're outside of that massive new building and it was facing the wrong direction and it could have been oh, used yeah. for solar panel. It's <laughs> yes. great. Well, that, that got me a contract. That got me a £100,000 contract with the local authority. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic. I've started, I've done another video. Um, in fact, the government gave me some money last year to close down because the business is based here in the workshop at the bottom of the garden. Let me just show you. Oh, yeah, please. So this is the solar shed. This is, it's an old barn, and I've just converted it where people can come and sit and have a chat with me. So I, I just sit here, get that right, and, and we have a chat and put it up on the big screen, and I show people things and show them around the house. But because of social, we're not allowed to open. It's a non-essential business. So the government gave me some money. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll buy, I'll buy some film time with it. So I, I had a film made, a 45-second video. Have you ever wondered why so many of your neighbours have had solar panels installed in recent years? Well, many are turning daylight into money by selling energy they don't use back to the grid. And all of them are saving money by using the energy they generate even on the oldest of houses. And what isn't used can be stored safely in the battery for use overnight or in a power cut. Solar owners really are living the lithium lifestyle. And when you get your electric car, you can fill up for free with solar. Now you know how we can solar power your life. If you'd like to make every day a Sunday, just go to solarpower.co.uk. Which I pinned to my tweet and all the rest of it. This bloke contacts me and he says, so you do old buildings? I says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, great, you can do mine. I says, all right, I'll put you in contact with this bloke, he said. So, all right, so this bloke phones me up. He says, apparently you're doing our solar. I says, yeah, apparently, because I do old buildings. He says, lovely. He says, all right, and here it is online. And I've gone, oh, right, it's fucking massive, this building. So last week, we started on a, a project with 750 solar panels, on <laughs> all from a video that someone saw. Fantastic. Haven't even had to visit the premises. It's all been done online and by chatting. But I've, I've got 13 years' experience in what I do now. Do you know what I mean? So it all just comes natural. Yeah. But do you know what? Go, going back to you saying about watching the films I've done, the TV programs I've done years ago, there's very few police officers, very few police officers who can say this. No, nowadays they can all say it, but up until 1994 or five, no one could have said this. When you step out of the front door at Vine Street Police Station, if you turn right, you step onto Regent Street, and if you go straight out, you go onto Piccadilly. You're only 50 yards from Piccadilly Circus, the most densely footfall populous area in the world, probably. Yeah. Shaftesbury Avenue, Regent Street, it's all coming in there. You come out as a fresh-faced 21 to 22-year-old, like a new pin with a hat on, you've got cameras in your face instantly. Yeah. From the minute you, you take a step foot outside, you've got people taking pictures. And every 
body says, oh, go over there and ask him the time and I'll stand back and take it. <laughs> and you play the, oh, oh, yes, madam. The time is. <laughs> or, or what you do is when you, if you're in a really arsy mood and they position themselves and you know, and they're asking for directions and they use that, oh, go and ask him where Leicester Square is. <laughs> and, and what you do, you turn and, and you put your hand in front of their face where the camera is, as you do, and you just walk off. You do that one. <laughs> but we're used to getting a camera in front of us all the time. Now, kids today all do that because the only way you can speak to your mates is by doing it in front of a camera. Yeah. But until you start doing Zoom meetings or your social media for the bill and things like that, how much camera work? If someone just walked up to you in the street and put a camera in your face, how would you respond? Yeah. yeah you go and watch yeah, with the cameras. Yeah, no, can, no, yeah. that's yeah. That's what it was like. As soon as you stepped out in the Piccadilly Circus, or if you were at Covent Garden, uh, Bow Street Police Station, or if you were at West End Central or Marylebone, in the West End, the, those four central police stations, as soon as you walk out, there's a camera in your face. So when the cameras come along and say, we want to do a documentary about policing on the housing estate, it's right, just another job, isn't it? it it's not new. So, yeah. so that, that was quite handy. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen... The, the, the bill, I've, I've said this before to people as well, I would love to have seen the bill have a permanent police officer who transcended all the different reliefs, all the different storylines, and then every now and again, even if he just had a 30, or she had a 30-second bit part in the canteen, oh, you're talking about Jack, I saw him last night hanging around the back of the flat. Yeah, yeah, little yeah, tiny, yeah. where it just knits the whole job together. Yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. what the home beat does. The home beat doesn't have the crime report, the investigation, the arrest. We tie it all together. We we help all those other units knit a job together just by those little pearls of wisdom about you know who you see where. Did you know Pete's got a new um, Ford Fiesta? Yeah, S one five one something. Funny, the security guard at that probably said something about. <laughs> And that's how it works in the canteen and in the locker room. Yeah. I'd love to have seen more of that innocent interaction which brought jobs together and maybe uh, an assailant, a 15-year-old street robber, a year later, just come back and say, you made a difference. Yeah. It's a shame that they didn't all, they very rarely see like a guest character return. A guest character, or even a permanent actor as a police officer, <clears throat> transcending, but he was in one role, not just following a different storyline each week. And occasionally they carry the storyline over. But I'm talking about his or her story is just someone in the background that is having a cup of tea and said, or has got a snippet, is always in the collator's office, is hanging around the canteen, is just walking out the back gate as the cars are going out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just that little, and because the whole, they, they knit things together. But listen, I'll tell you the, the other major thing. Um, we, so I've been talking to a few people. Are you aware of the Yvonne Fletcher case? Yeah, I mean, that's tragic. Yeah, and we all know what happened. I mean, this is where your political decisions are. I mean, this is, you're saying earlier about your brown lows and imagine your commissioners and home secretaries and kings and queens. Because yeah. this, is, this is what happened on Yvonne Fletcher. Basically, at the end of the day, we know a deal was done to grant immunity um, to the, the main suspect. 
um, as part of the oil, carving up the, the oil wells in, in Libya. We know that, we know that. And that we've got a suspect. And there's a campaign going at the moment, the Justice for Yvonne campaign. And it's, it's a private Facebook group at the moment. The people listening or watching this, whatever we're doing, um, they are entitled to go and search because we're going to open it up for a few weeks. Um, go and just search on Facebook for Justice for Yvonne. There's templates of letters that people can write to their MPs. So we're looking for a bit of support. Now, we're going to go to the High Court and we're going to do this and we're going to sue the suspect and we're going to sue him for one pound just purely to get a finding of guilt. That's all we're looking for is a finding of guilt and then justice will have been served. There's also a in the line of duty type five part dramatization of the whole of the Yvonne Fletcher case and the investigation since with an open ending, uh, which it was due to start filming um, last year. So oh, that's wow. in the process as well. So, and that's going to be real and based on those events in 1984 going forward to today. And then also on the 17th of July this year, um, it's usually on the, on, on the 17th of April every year, but because of COVID, there's a bit of a gathering in St. James's Square at the Yvonne Fletcher Memorial. Oh. So the guys from the campaign have said um, that if people want to come along, they can. Wow. Oh, what a nice thing to do. So, go on. what else do you want to talk about? Because you've let me waffle on and on and no, on it's, and it's, on. No, it's gold dust. What are your personal hopes for the future? You know, uh, not, not just, you know, for yourself, but for the future of, of, the, of the police, you know. Uh, right. Well, on a, on a personal level, I'm in a good place. Um, although I might not look like it at times. I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite well within the industry that I'm in. The business is going well. And <laughs> later on this year, I'm going to Glasgow to the Council of the Parties, um, which is where the big climate change conference is going to be. And I'm going to be um, speaking to some people there about sorting the bloody mess of the planet out. So I've got a platform through my industry to go to Glasgow and be a representative of the industry and shake up world government. So that would be quite nice. If I can have a, a, excuse the expression, throw a few fucks at them. Yeah. That'd be quite good. That's coming away from main soul and more into consultancy work. And that's where I'm going as an individual. Um, and what I'm looking to do is actually tie in um, 17 years of policing and 13 years of environmentalism and business and put it all together. And I don't know, um, there is going to be a political angle to it. I don't know where I'm going, but it will be very, very job focused and it will be advisory role, consultancies, but it's got to be within communities, communications and with building resilience in, in, in because environmentalism and policing to me, they're, they're, they're bedfellas. It's the people who can make an effect to you know to make things better, both safer and cleaner and greener. So I think there's a lot of synergy there in community safety and environmentalism because it's about building resilience in the communities. You know, if there's a petrol shock, if there's a price shock, how resilient is your community? Are you buying local, are you generating local, all that sort of stuff. So I'm mm. really involved in the in the thinking behind those sort of structures. On the police side of things, I'm gonna keep banging the drum and being as boring and as loud and as annoying and irritating as I can on Twitter. If anyone wants to follow me, it's at The Solar Shed. I'm really, really annoyed, yeah? He keeps banging on about an extra 20,000 police officers. They took away 32,000 plus another 13,000 civilian staff since 2010. The 20,000 new police officers aren't even gonna replace the ones that have left. Do you know what I mean? So we're being lied to left, right and centre. We need a national consensus on the core things in this country. Policing, health, 
education and housing. When I say policing, I mean safety. Yeah, housing. All of these things are societal issues that we lurch from left to right. The five-year plans, and it's got to stop. We need a consensus about what we want our country to look like and police it accordingly. We want everybody should have a named police officer. Everybody. In, in my county, they actually took PCSOs away. There's no PCSOs at all in Norfolk. We're the only county with no uniform street presence other than our hard-pressed police officers, and there's not enough of them. I, I'm always going to camp, not say campaign, I'm not a bandwagon jumper. I, I, I'm, if I see a campaign, I'll help promote it. I've got quite a large following online. I'm fairly influential within my industry. If I can bring more people in from outside of the, the policing family, to, to give us support, to, to feel sorry for us, to put pressure on our MPs, to do more, then then that's the you know, job done as far as I'm concerned. And, and to finish, what's your, what's your message to the, the fans of the bill who, who, let's face it, the show wouldn't have existed if it exactly. wasn't for people exactly. like you? So No, you know. the, the bill was, I mean, as fans of the bill, as a fan of the bill in the first instance, and obviously as I grew older and you know, I, I lost contact with it a little bit and shift patterns and all the rest of it, but as a fan of the bill, it's one of, one of the main reasons why I joined the police it, it, it gave me an insight, as I said earlier, before I joined the police into what to expect, although that was only the structure and the visualisation. What actually happens mentally is totally different. But yeah, if it wasn't for the fans of the bill, we wouldn't... I, I think there's, there's a lot of um, things in policing that we wouldn't have today if it wasn't for the bill. I mean, the things about the bill... I mean, the, the fans of the bill will appreciate this, and they're probably already aware, and they've heard stories from other people... Do you, I don't know if you know that when acrylic batons were issued in the mid-90s and the NATO pullovers, yeah. the cast of the bill, every single member had them before we did it on the streets. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. I, was on, I went on Facebook the other day and I said, look, I'm going to meet the guys from the bill, right, or the bill podcast and the fans of the bill, and I want a few stories. So to tell me something. And that was the first thing that came up from three police officers working down in Merton. Oh, wow. Where the studios were. Sunhill had the... And also another mate, he was on royalty protection, right? <laughs> he was based out of Hounslow somewhere. And there was a, one of those phone calls come into the police station from the Brian Bilgoris of the world. Right. And it said, right, 200 pound, 150 quid, whatever it was, we want 20 police officers to turn up as police officers and you're going to get some petrol bombs thrown at you. They, it was for a riot scene, yeah? Well, they used Hounslow, which was a riot city. So we don't know how quiet this phone call was. And they were like closed groups. Come on, let's finish it at two o'clock. Let's all get down there. So everyone signed up. There's about 20 blokes all turned up. And so when they got down there, so it, was, it was 200 quid, which was like twice the wages of a police officer in those days. It says, was nothing to what they threw at us. There was about five times more petrol bombs than what we'd normally do, not just in a riot, but in training. Wow. And, and the, the, the production team was, oh, we needed to get the proper televisual effects. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely covered in petrol. They've got all their proper flame retardant gear and the shield, and they know what they're doing, these guys. That's what they do for a living. They get petrol bombs thrown at them. Do you know what I mean? But it was the way that the phone calls come in. They got down, they think, yeah, do a bit of filming with a bill. That'll be handy, 200 quid. And then stand there for four hours, get absolutely soaked in petrol and be set fire to. But hey, it's what you do as a police officer. For Queen and Country, sir. For Queen and Country. <laughs> And the fans of the bill. That's fantastic. Well, that, that's a that's a perfect finale. I think that's superb. You like that? That's brilliant. Thank well, you. I've, re I've really enjoyed this chat. Actually, but it's been really enjoyable. Thank you.
Thank you well, so well, much. Thank you for what you do as well, for keeping it alive. Because for me to sit back and watch um, Reg Hollis plodding and June <laughs> Ackland and Matthew Boyden and Inspector Monroe, all of these people again, it's like, it's like when I was 17 and didn't feel very well, I'd want to watch Mr. Ben because it made me feel like a five-year-old. Well, as a 53-year-old, yeah. this makes me feel like an impassioned 22-year-old again. I love that. That's <laughs> fantastic. Oh, this has been glorious. I'm really well, grateful. I'm glad we've given you a bit of insight into policing. was exactly the same as the bill, but with real blood. My huge thanks to Kevin for such a fascinating conversation and for being so generous with his time. You can follow the great man on Twitter at The Solar Shed and you can find his book, A Pig in Shit, on Amazon. Kevin is also a supporter for the Justice for Yvonne Fletcher campaign. If you'd like to read more and support if you can, you can do so on crowdjustice.com. Here's the wonderful Ben Payton with the closing credits for our co-producer and executive producers of The Bill Podcast. If you'd like to add your name to this list, join the investigation now on patreon.com forward slash The Bill Podcast. Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Dan Evans, Sarah Kuyper and Alex Mockler. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Gladane, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went, and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. If you're interested in reading about the making of the first three series of The Bill, signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from devonfirebooks.com.